When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who were traumatized by their high school production of Les Miserables. I'm Hannah Leach, a multidisciplinary artist, audio producer, and recovering second-rate character actress. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and innocent little sister. (laughs) (laughs) We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tubing Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2012's Les Miserables. One day more. Another day, another destiny comes up. It's never-ending road to Calvary. Where's the child, Cosette? Tomorrow you'll be worlds away. Who was that girl? Cosette. And yet with you my world has started. But he never saw me If you're watching the video version, you may be asking yourself, why does Hannah look so hot? Why does she look like such a high class whore? And I'm telling you that is because today I am full blown channeling the woman, the women of the docks in Lamez, aka grimy hookers. I'm not anti sex work. I'm pro-sex work. And I am Eponine without a newsboy cap. (laughs) (laughs) You're Eponine in spirit and in dirt on your face. Yeah, which you kind of can't see, but you know, it's okay. There's some more plot relevance to why my hair looks like this that, trust me, I will get to (laughs) in this episode. Because this episode is about to have everything, in my opinion. Interesting information on the movie. Personal stories that are really potent that are tied to it. And takes, deep takes on the movie itself. Yes. I am very surprised it's taken us this long to do this. I'm excited to get into it today. Yes, lots and lots to uncover today. Before we do, question for the culture. I have a question. And it was sparked because as we have seen recently, there has been more than two movie musicals released in the past month. That is really, really rare because as we know, Hollywood does not actually want to advertise these movie musicals as musicals, which sucks. If you're ashamed of the very DNA of the movie you made, 
everyone's going to be pissed off when they actually go to see it. And I have seen TikToks of people like taking videos in movie theaters. Did you see the one where everyone started groaning when the girl playing Katie Heron started singing in the movie? No, no. And I saw Mean Girls, the movie musical the other day. It contributed to the canon of poorly made movie musicals with actors hired who can't sing for shit other than Renee Rapp. She gets the pass and so does Janice in the movie. Like, would you rather force feed the general public a movie musical by tricking them into thinking that it's not and then, you know, maybe opening up people to like a movie musical who wouldn't normally? Or... Should they just simply not be made until the public is genuinely interested in the genre? Because there are these things do happen in peaks and valleys. Like, hmm. I just think it's a shame to try to trick people into liking something that they're not primed to like to begin with. And it kind of hurts me as somebody who loves a movie musical. Being dishonest in the marketing is just ripping people off in some ways. It's like- It's cheap. Yeah, it's just like about the dollar more than anything else. I do think that there's an argument to be made about like, people don't know they like a musical until they watch one, but I sort of feel like you should be able to depend on like word of mouth and like Mm -hmm. good casting of like A-list people to get people to come see it, which is likely what happened with Les Mis- Yeah, they were banking on an A-list cast to bring the audience to something that they know is a musical. There is no getting around Les Mis is a musical. But what's hilarious is if this movie came out today, they would fucking cut together the very few points of dialogue that there are and would be like, this is a movie about the French Revolution. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. To me, it just like puts the whole genre to shame when there should be no shame in the game. It is what it is. If you don't like a movie musical, get out of the damn theater. I don't want the negativity in the room. Yeah. We'll talk about it more later. Like I thought I didn't like this movie, meaning Lame is the movie, but in light of recent films, I think I can give it a lot more credit than I had prior. Like holy okay. shit. The, you cuz you have an, you saw the color purple with me, which is and that was a, good. which is good because they hired all singers, all solid yeah. performers, filmed it in a way that made sense. It had a proper budget overall. And every other movie musicals cutting corners, hiring non-singers, trying to get away with shit. And I'm tired of it. And that is my stance. I know I've seen on TikTok, I'm not the only one to be heavily annoyed. Like, I feel like the theater kids in their 20s of this nation are sick and tired of the lies and the deceit and Mm -hmm. mostly just the wrong people getting great opportunities. Yeah, that was the thing with The Color Purple is like, there was never a moment where someone opened their mouth and you were like, why is this happening? Why are they here? Like every single person was amazing in their role. Okay, let's get into the facts. So- I'm going to refer to it as Les Mis. So Les Mis was released in the U.S. on Christmas 2012. It was directed by Tom Hooper, director of The Danish Girl, The King's Speech, Les Mis, and 2019's Cats, which seems to have effectively put a massive uh, blemish on his directing reputation because I looked at his IMDb and he's only directed one thing since 2019. And he also probably didn't want to do anything after Cats because he got like dogged on, if you will. Okay, so this movie is based on a musical that is based on the novel of the same name written by Victor Hugo. It's a very famous, very beloved epic novel. There were changes made for the musical, obviously, but like The base ingredients are the same. All of the characters existed in the book, more or less. So that's where we're coming from. The musical was created by Alan Bubil. 
I'm going to butcher this, and Claude Michel Schonenberg, who also wrote Miss Saigon. And then, so the musical was originally written in French, and the English language adaptation of the book and the lyrics were by Herbert Kretzner. Now, this show was produced by Cameron McIntosh, who is a rather infamous figure in commercial theater. So he produced the stage parts of Phantom of the Opera, the movie, which I found really funny, including the awkwardly sexy point of no return. And, but he's really best known as a theater producer because he produced Cats, Miss Saigon, Oliver, Mary Poppins, and Les Mis, among other things. He's also a producer in the movie, which we will come back to. But the Broadway production of Les Mis, when it came to New York City. It opened in London, but then when it came to America, the Broadway production opened on March 12th, 1987 and ran until May 18th, 2003, closing after 6,680 performances. At the time of its closing, it was the second longest running Broadway musical in history. As of 2022, it remains the sixth longest running Broadway show. And it won eight Tonys the year of its Broadway premiere. And then lastly, the screenplay was written by William Nicholson, who wrote Gladiator, Firelight, and Unbroken. Another important thing to keep in mind going into this movie is that the rights to making Les Mis, the musical movie, had been withheld by Cameron McIntosh for a really, really, really long time. And he finally forked over the rights when he met Tom Hooper, and Tom Hooper told him that he really deeply wanted all of the music to be sung live. And that is what sold Cameron McIntosh on giving Tom Hooper the rights. So the live singing, we will talk about a lot in this episode, but just keep it in mind that the live singing is like an integral part of why this movie happened. Why it exists in the way that it does. IMDb synopsis. This will be interesting to read these because the plot can be very convoluted. If you've ever seen Mm -hmm. the show... Mm -hmm. You could be lost while watching it. So IMDb, Jean Valjean, known as Prisoner 24601, is released from prison and breaks parole to create a new life for himself while evading the grip of the persistent Inspector Javert. Set in post-revolutionary France, the story reaches resolution against the background of the June Rebellion. Letterboxd, an adaptation of the successful stage musical based on Victor Hugo's classic novel set in 19th century France in which a paroled prisoner named Jean Valjean seeks redemption. And finally, Rotten Tomatoes. After 19 years as a prisoner, Jean Valjean is freed by Javert, the officer in charge of the prison workforce. Valjean promptly breaks parole, but later uses money from stolen silver to reinvent himself as a mayor and factory owner. Javert vows to bring Valjean back to prison. Eight years later, Valjean becomes the guardian of a child named Cosette after her mother's death. But Javert's relentless pursuit means that peace will be a long time coming. (laughs) Like it could really keep going and going and going, but they had to call it somewhere. And I think that was an okay spot to do so. Taglines. The first one is fight, dream, hope, love. I don't. That's like a rent ass tagline. Yeah, I I don't, that's not tonally correct. Also, when there's so many good lyrics they could choose from, it's kind of like, why don't you just choose lyrics? And the second one is the dream lives this Christmas. (laughs) That's not even a good use of I dreamed a dream. I know. Is it because the life is killed? Now life has killed the dream I dream? Yeah, but like, I feel like if you don't, if you don't know that song well, you're not even going to pick up on. I mean, I barely even got it and that. I do know the song. So <laughs> so now for this cast. Now, this is an all-star cast, particularly for 2012. So keep that in mind as I go through here. So Hugh Jackman is playing Jean Valjean. In my mind, known as Wolverine and the main guy from The Greatest Showman. He's kind of like for a minute there was like the Hollywood designated leading guy for musical parts. He was also Harold Hill on Broadway for kind of a long time, not that long ago. Recently, Another thing about Hugh Jackman in this movie, there's kind of a recurring theme of like inhumane conditions in this production a little bit, but like self-inflicted, like method actor inhumane conditions. So 
Hugh Jackman lost a ton of weight and went 36 hours without water before they filmed all of the like opening like prisoner sequences. And apparently they like shot all that stuff first so he could return to his usual weight for scenes playing Valjean as a wealthy man. So, okay, we have our first weird method actor choice. Then we have Russell Crowe as Javert, best known for A Beautiful Mind, Gladiator, and L.A. Confidential. Also for being my arch fucking enemy in this movie. We will, he will get his, his justice later on. Then we have Anne Hathaway as Fontaine. Of course, she's from The Devil Wears Prada, Princess Diaries, etc. We all know and love her. Anne Hathaway insisted upon actually getting her hair cut on camera in the scene where Fontaine sells her hair. So again, really have people going quite hard for this movie. Also, her mom played Fontaine and she saw her mom play the role as a child and she was like, I yes. love the theater. <laughs> yes. Then Amanda Seyfried is Cosette. Karen and Mean Girls. She's a Mamma Mia. She's in Jennifer's body. Eddie Redmayne is Marius. He's in The Danish Girl, The Theory of Everything, other shit that I'm not aware Fantastic of. Fantastic Beasts. Then we have Samantha Barks as Eponine, unproblematic queen. She was Eponine in the West End production. Just like the most reasonable casting choice of all time, as well as Aaron Tveit as Angel Ross. He's like a hot Broadway. I wrote here hot Broadway gay. He's not gay. Right. I meant to write guy, but I wrote gay. Who could forget? I mean, at this point, it's like steeped lore that Taylor Swift auditioned as Eponine and did not yes. get it. But that is the reason that she is in Cats, 2019 Cats, because she didn't, you know, Tom Hooper was like, I want to work with you or whatever. <laughs> yes. Well, another person who auditioned is Miley Cyrus and her audition video leaked. And it is so bizarre. Without me, his world will go Kind of see it, but just she's, but no, <laughs> no yeah. ultimately no. Taylor would have been like really, in, like really distracting. Yeah, yeah. Then we have Sasha Baron Cohen as Monsieur Tenadier. He is Borat and he's Pirelli in Sweeney Todd and he's in a lot of things. He's like a, a guy. Helena Bonham Carter as Madame Thenardier. She is Tim Burton's former muse. She was the queen of hearts in the weird CGI Alice in Wonderlands. She's the corpse bride. She's Mrs. Lovett. She's Bellatrix Lestrange. She's in like a zillion things from our childhood. The opening weekend made 27,281,735. Um, safe to say they made their budget times like six. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. crazy. And people say people don't like musicals. You know what? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Let the people come. Don't lie to them. Just show them what it is and they will come yeah. if it's good. Okay. So now going into critic opinions. So the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes for Les Mis is 70% and on Metacritic, it earned a 63 the critic consensus is impeccably mounted, but occasionally bombastic. Les Mis largely succeeds thanks to bravura performances from its distinguished cast. The Wall Street Journal said this Les Mis does make you feel intensely and sometimes thrillingly by honoring the emotional core of its source material. The Hollywood Reporter said, as the enduring success of this property has shown, there are large, emotionally susceptible segments of the population ready to swallow this sort of thing. But that doesn't mean it's good. Time. Sensitive souls in search of wrenching emotion can be guaranteed their Kleenex moments. You will get wet. <laughs> but aside from that opening scene, you will not be cinematically edified. This is a bad movie. <laughs> But despite those opinions, at the Oscars in 2013, Les Mis was nominated for Best Picture. It was also nominated, Hugh Jackman was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role. And the movie was also nominated for a Costume Design. Ultimately, 
They won Best Achievement in Makeup and Hair. And Anne Hathaway won the award for like, what is it? Best? Best Supporting Actress. Here's hoping that someday in the not too distant future, the misfortunes of Fontaine will only be found in stories and never more in real life. Thank you. And a lot of people were like dogging on Anne Hathaway for like being schmaltzy about being in Les Mis and like being really earnest. There was sort of like a Jennifer Lawrence-esque response to Anne Hathaway's like earnestness with this movie. The audience score was 79% and the letterbox star rating is 3.6 stars. That's pretty good. That's actually pretty good on for mm-hmm. Letterbox. Audience opinions, 1.5 stars. This movie to me is nothing like the fantastic musical. Russell Crowe as Inspector Javert is quite frankly terrible, as is Anne Hathaway. If this is your first time seeing Les Mis, I can see how some of it could be enjoyable, but the musical version is a billion times better and much more moving and inspiring. Four stars, a good film marred by a terrible decision to cast Russell Crowe as Javert. His singing is not up to it. Hugh Jackson is a Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackman (laughs) is a bit better, but outshone by people like Samantha Barks and Aaron Tveit. They didn't even know what his name was and they had to read him in the review. One star. I wouldn't say I watched Les Mis. I kind of just sat in front of it and waited and waited and waited. 4.5 stars. I love every inch of this heavy-handed, poorly shot, badly sung masterpiece to pieces and it makes me want to believe in God. I feel like all of that is pretty accurate. I think the last one especially hits hits something for me. When did we first watch this movie? What did we remember about it? What associations do we have with Les Mis as a whole? My God, where to begin? I did not know what Les Mis was until it was announced as our school's musical. We were at Drama Club Awards, and so traditionally those happen in the spring, and if they knew what the musical and play were going to be for the next year, they would announce it at Drama Club Awards at the end of the previous So all year. of the conspiring can begin yeah, before all the, the next year even starts. Just everything. You can boil on that. All the toxicity that. can kick into overdrive. You can just simmer on it over the summer, <laughs> yeah. um, which is kind of fun, actually, because I remember there were some years where they didn't know yet. So like there yeah. was no announcement, which is kind of sad. Anyway, so Les Mis was announced. This is when I was in eighth grade and I was there at the awards because Hannah was already in high school. I wasn't even in high school yet. But this yeah. moment <laughs> was like a perspective shifter for what high school <laughs> would be like. <laughs> because <laughs> everyone freaked the fuck out when Les Mis was announced, but particularly one person, literally flew into the air like like had to be five feet up like just crazy crazy reaction and me and my dad were sitting next to each other and we were like what is going on (laughs) what is this because our drama club and show choir experiences were so traumatizing we have friends for life from those experiences that listen to this podcast. So if you're listening you probably know who we're talking about. I knew about it before they announced that they were going to do it. But really all I knew was that picture of like the little girl with the broom, like looking sad. That's like the artwork for the show. But bitch, I've retold this story to Josh not that long ago. And it like, I like had forgotten some of the details and it like awoke such a deep level of like sadness. Okay, so here is a foundational story of my life. So my sophomore year of high school, they did West Side Story as the musical. And I was like, I'm not doing that shit because I'm not good at dancing and I don't want to put myself through that. Like, just no. So I didn't do it. But then when they announced that it was going to be Les Mis, I was like, oh shit, this is a singing only musical. Like, I could do this. Like, I could potentially succeed at this. Basically, like, all of the girls in my grade and the grade above were, like, bloodthirsty to get a part in this show. Including me, which really I did not think that I like had a chance because like favorites were played like pretty hard. It was just a reach. It was just a reach for me to be able to do this. You hadn't put in your time. (laughs) No, I had not really. But here's the thing is that there were other girls who also hadn't put in their time. 
Right, but they were favorites, like in a choral sense. Yes, they were. They didn't have to do the shit that I had to do. So anyway, I decided that I was going to set my sights upon being uh, the innkeeper's wife, Madame Thenardier, because she was the character role. It's like, my teachers don't think I'm hot, so I have to go for the character role. And that's kind of out of pocket, but it's also not because it was literally just a thing that happened. Anyway, I went for it and I rehearsed so hard. I like picked the perfect song and I was like, this is a fucking sleigh. If I don't get this call back, it's just rigged, like for sure. What was the song? It was called The Wages of Sin. And it was from some really obscure ass show that my voice teacher knew about. I don't remember what it was, but it was like Cockney accent, like about, you know, it it was like the exact same thing. Saying that, knew it was a sleigh. And then miraculously, like despite every force on the planet, got a call back for it. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. And there's four girl parts and only six girls got called back. And I was like, okay, if six girls get got called back, they're going to double cast. That's going to be what happens. There's no other way for this to go. But then this one girl basically... To me, it seemed like she auditioned out of spite and then got a callback and then dropped out. She dropped out once she got a callback and that fucked everything because then there was only five girls going for four parts and there were favorites and then there were the girls that put in more work than me. Those were the only people that were left. So I was like, well, I'm probably fucked, but like, I'm gonna at least try. So I got the callback music and it was like impossible it was impossible. What was it? it? Was, From the show? Yeah, it's the part that's like, now look who's here, the little mm. madam herself, pretending once again, been so awfully good, yeah. that whole thing. And keep in mind that the Tenardier audition was literally master of the house. Da, 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 da. It was like the easiest thing ever. And so the part that was the callback for me wasn't like in any song. It was like an obscure little moment and I couldn't find it online, which now I'm like, how the fuck could I not find it online? Like, how how did that happen? So basically I went into the callback and I was like, (laughs) I'm about to flop this so hard. It's going to like shake my very core. (laughs) And so I went in. And I flopped it so fucking hard. So like you like literally didn't listen to it because you- No, I sat in the practice room and I- I played it on piano and just like hoped that I could figure it out because you weren't I'm allowed so to ask confused. for help. I'm so you confused. You weren't allowed to ask for help. Well, but you know about CDs. I mean, at the very least, like you could no, have- it wasn't, it, it isn't like on the sound, like in most versions of it, it's not like a song. Right. So- you wouldn't. Also, I was like, I'm not a fucking scholar of this show. I'm just a high school junior. Yeah. Why does this have to be like this? So I kind of understand, but it's just unfair compared to the Tenardier thing. But that's so common for high school where they give the boys really easy shit because they just need to scrape by and then they give the girls the hardest version possible yeah. to try to like play more mind games or something. I, I don't mean, the know. The amount of mind games were insane. I don't so, really know. So I left from the callback and I was like, I'm going to KMS. But I was driving home and I was like in the little CRV. I remember exactly where I was on the street. And I said out loud to myself, I am not getting that role. I'm not (laughs) going to get that role. And it's going to be okay. I did my best. I'm not getting it. We had a good run. So then... And that is what happened. (laughs) But then... And yeah, so, so I thought to myself... I didn't get the part, but I'm at, I'm going to be a prostitute. And at the very least, I'll get a corset and I'll get to be perceived as hot in some sense. So anyway, I was like, I'm going to be a hot prostitute. It's fine, which also speaks to the high school experience. And then I go down there and I check the cast list. And not only am I not the innkeeper's wife, but I'm fucking old woman. I'm Hannah Leach, dot, 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 old woman. And keep in mind, I had been cast as granny and into the woods and then old woman and something else. And then I was old woman again. And I remember being so embarrassed and mad that I like did like, the Rachel Berry like stomp away in tears because I was so embarrassed that I ended up being the old woman. 
And then I insisted that when I had my old woman wig that I took it out of the low granny bun and it looked just like the wig I have now, but it was like a silvery gray. We've got pictures. I was not the only bitch who was hate crimed by the casting for that show, but it was formative. And the most fucked up thing is that I couldn't just find it online. I'm a little interested about that part. Like, I, Me too. If I was in your shoes, I would have done everything possible to find that moment in a bootleg or something. I don't know. I mean, it was also 2012, 2011. So things were like a bit different, but I don't know. Cause that's the thing that has me fucked up now when I think about it. But the thing is, Josh asked me this and I was telling him, if you could go back and if you did know it, do you think that it actually would have changed the outcome? And I don't think it would have changed the outcome. I was set up for failure, IMO but I lived to tell the tale and now I'm reclaiming my trauma by wearing a uh, corset on a podcast in 2024, so. I, on the other hand, was on crew for this show and I had some of the best crew jobs, but like I got to like run with a gun and like- (laughs) Yeah. Be in a gate thing. I don't know. There was a lot of good crew jobs on that show. Everyone who was on crew would like, fully sing in the wings for one day more and stuff. Yes. Because it like didn't even matter. Like the more voices, the better kind of. So we would just like fully sing it. me that I was like so embarrassed to be alive in that show that during One Day More, I intentionally stood in the back row so like no one could see me. (laughs) Literally all the girls in that show except for four hated being in it because they all had to, for the most part, okay, like think about the freshman girls, all bonnets. They're all wearing bonnets and no one gets to be a slut. They all had to be bonneted. So like, at least you were a junior at the time and got something. I did get like one good bar wench outfit, but it wasn't even like that much of a slut. It it was just not an old woman outfit. It's time to reclaim it because not not any bitch can be play the old woman. You can't make anyone be the old woman. I know. I will say... I was just in LA for a podcast project that I'm working on. We had to do some improvisation. Like me and the co-producer had to be like, had to do like fake villager voices in the background. And I chose to be an old woman selling love potions. And I did a really good job. So I do have that in me. In a very, very strange show called Forbidden Broadway Mm -hmm. um, that I was a part of before my senior year, I got to play parody Eponine, which is not the same thing as real Eponine. But the song, it was a parody version of On My Own called On My Phone. And it was really dumb. But all the (laughs) notes were exactly the same. And you like caused a stir because you were really good at it. I don't remember being good at that one because I was so nervous. I don't even remember. I just remember being really nervous. And it's like, because I had never sung a solo in front of a high school crowd before. Yeah. So I was like shaking in my boots. You were better than like a lot of bitches. Let me just say. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But as for seeing this movie... We had to have seen it in the same group, right? I know I saw it with high school people, probably my senior year of high school. And that's all that I got. What's crazy is that all of this basically coincided. Like we had a lame is era. Cause like this movie came out not long after, or was it? Oh yeah. It was Christmas 2012. So it came out, yeah, like the same year that we did it in high school, but at the very end of the year. Yeah, we did it spring 2012. And then the movie came out six months after. Jesus Christ. Imagine a group of high schoolers 
taking themselves more seriously than they already do. Make them do Les Mis for a year. I don't know that I would ever have the confidence in a group of children to choose that show. Like as a director, it's just so demanding vocally. And like, you kind of know they're not like good enough in a way. But I would do actually anything to get my grubby paws on a DVD of that production because I can't find one. And I can't even remember. It's like in my mind, this was Broadway level. In my mind, everyone was polished. Everyone was perfect. But I know that that is not the case. Like I need a DVD. Yeah. Where did you watch this movie? I like rented it. It's not streaming right now. Go watch Les Mis 2012, if you can handle it, that is. And yes, we will be right back. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. We're here to talk about Les Miserables. <laughs> I wish I wrote like a list of my favorite musical moments as yes. I watched, but I didn't, which is regrettable. There are so many lines from this show that we use as colloquialisms. Mine are, um, it's the same melody for both of them. One of them is Javert. No, one of them is Valjean saying, one minute there and I'd be back. Beneath the lash upon the rack, that one. And then um, when Javert's about to KMS and he goes, and must I now begin to doubt what never doubted all these years? And there's more than that, the I'm sure. The sun is strong. It's hot as hell below. <laughs> also yeah. that. And these all have translations. So like the sun is strong, it's hot as hell below. It's hot as hell below. That means I'm out here struggling right now. It means... Yeah. This is a tough day. This is a tough moment. The sun is strong. It's hot as hell below. Yeah. And and may I now begin to doubt is like... It's kind of like, I don't know, skepticism. Like, how would you describe the way that it's used? Wait, what do you mean translation? Oh, like, what does it mean when I say yeah, it? Yeah, like when we use them as oh. colloquialisms. It, oh, yes, yes, meanings. yes. And must, and must I now begin to, begin to doubt when you believe something really hard <laughs> and then something like shakes your foundation a little bit? Yeah. You say, and must I now begin <laughs> to doubt? And then, and then uh, beneath the lash upon the rack I can't even think of when I do it, but it comes up all the time. It's kind of another thing of like severity. Like I feel like it's like if something harsh happens or like something particularly (laughs) torturous happens, like something you're dreading. It's like, yeah, you just beneath the lash upon the rat. Oh, oh, I got one. I got one. You're on your own. (laughs) You have no friends. What does that mean? Yeah. It means you're on your own. You have no friends. Give up your guns or die. (laughs) Is that simple? Yeah. Oh, I feel like I've also definitely used um, my friends, my friends. (laughs) Don't ask me (laughs) what the sacrifice was for. And that's definitely like a pitying moment. It's like, yes, I'm alone right now. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that this is actually the thing about Les Mis that like hangs on the truest for me, at least, and probably for you too, is that it's like so, it takes itself so seriously and it's so dramatic, but like there are some moments of life where it fits. Yeah. Like the hyperbole of the show itself just becomes so applicable to your everyday life that it's just like a perfect little shorthand to have, you know? This musical is very melodramatic and there is like a little tidbit that's kind of funny that we forgot to say in the memory part which is that when our mom came to see it, uh, the show yes she started chuckling when they kill Gavroche on the barricade and the Gavroche is the little boy like you've kind of become yeah. accustomed to this little rebellion boy character yeah. and then he just gets blatantly killed on the ba- barricade yes. after you've seen several people die and there have been many attacks and much miserable moments. (laughs) They have been lame-is for quite a while at that point. Oh, another thing, colloquialism, I just say Miz a lot, which... Yeah, I got that from Adam and he got it from lame-is. Yeah, just Miz. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so our mom, like she already doesn't love a musical like the way we do or in any earnest way. Basically, she was like, I couldn't take it seriously. And of course, I'm 16. So I'm like, what do you mean you couldn't take it seriously? (laughs) And she was like, when that little boy got shot, I was just like, what else could possibly go wrong? <laughs> like, and then, and at the time I was like, God damn it. I'm de-wigging right now. It's driving me crazy. Now I'm Fontaine post-chop. Watching this movie versus seeing the show on stage are very different experiences. I said, this movie is like if you decided to make a documentary of the process of singing Les Mis if everyone was actually starving. <laughs> Like what it would actually sound like if they were filming a documentary that had non-diegetic songs in it. Yes. And that is not what a musical should be. Like the fact that Cameron McIntosh was sold on realism is very weird for a movie musical. People have misinterpreted the form so much when it comes to music being sung in movies. They don't even know what it, what it would be to be good. I understand where the logic comes from of, wouldn't it be great if we could capture this performance live to try to mirror the effect of a theater? But that is impossible unless you are under a very specific setup. Like for example, in the new The Color Purple movie, Fantasia sings a solo pretty close to the end. And it's when she's standing in front of her store. And it's like her big number. That is a moment where you can say, okay, Fantasia, time to sing this live and see if we can get it all in one. Because if you can get a really authentic performance and live recording in a controlled environment, that's totally reasonable for a movie musical. But they took it to such heights of, of ridiculous for this film that it, and it actually completely shoots the film in the foot. So like, for example, when Samantha Barks is singing on my own, they had rain coming down on set because that was a part of the look. However, since they were capturing uh, her audio live, they were hearing the, the raindrops come down. Yeah. And so now you're having to have all these sound people padding out entire sets and rooms in an attempt to try to mute out the extra sounds to capture a pure vocal. Yes. And just think about the amount of money being wasted. Yeah, it's just, it's not a noble pursuit. So speaking to the convolutedness of the whole thing, I, I plucked this as I was researching. Recording the actors singing live as they're acting may not be a first, but the scope and especially the manner in which it was done is. The actors wore earpieces, which fed the sound of a live piano being played off stage to keep their singing in key. The main novelty here is that there's no counting or predetermined tempo and the piano is following the pacing of the actor, not the other way around. A first for a filmed musical, orchestral music was added post-production. I don't like that. Me either. There was a like a pianist in a cube, basically, in a glass cube yep. to try to, to mat out their sound as well so that only the singer also, is hearing 
the instrumental. It's so funny because they would like put her all over the place in this like double paned glass <laughs> plexi, like plexiglass cube. So you couldn't hear the keyboard, but keep in mind it was an electric keyboard. So yeah. when you hear the microphone in this space, it just like clank, 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 clank. Like it's not even notes. Right. Again, completely taking the concept of why musical art forms exist and, and yeah. ruining it by telling an actor that they can determine like the musical integrity themselves. Music is written to reflect the emotion that is coming through them. They, mm-hmm. it, this is not a situation where changing tempos, changing rhythms, changing cadence, all that stuff is going to enhance the content of what they're saying. They think it is, though. <laughs> like, they do. They think it is. They but it's, really think like, it is. Like, they don't understand that, like, music is written the way that it's written for a reason. Like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I know. Music is written for a reason. <laughs> like, there is a time signature for a reason. Yeah, like, it's a language. Like, you have to respect that. So, it's just really weird. Mm, all right. I'm going to say something good. The production design goes really hard. Yeah. It doesn't look bad for the most part. There are some key moments where it looks bad and there's moments where it feels really nondescript or um, sound stage-ish in a way that just feels too much like a facade. Like it's not... (laughs) Like the barricade is bad how much it feels like a set. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I did appreciate... I literally feel like the little girl playing Cosette did better than like everybody in the movie. <laughs> she was good. Like that was an actual Broadway kid. You can like tell. Yes. She yeah. she did a great job. She like hit her mark, did what she was supposed to do, sang properly and and said peace out. And I appreciated I that. Aaron Tveit is allowed. Samantha Barks is allowed. And the guy who sings You Have No Chance, No Chance at All <laughs> is allowed. I wrote that an hour and 15 minutes in, I was starting to enjoy myself. Yes. I, okay. And that is Blood, uh, or Red, The Blood of Angry Men, that song. That's what made you start enjoying it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I cannot, for some reason, I find all the revolution stuff and all of the like things with boys in it exclusively to be like very boring. I just love that song specifically. I think. I think it's one of the better written songs. Like, I think it like asks an interesting question that we can still ask now. Like, we're always talking about this kind of thing. It's like you you have your personal life versus like all the social causes and things that you know you really should be caring about. I think that part of what makes it kind of confusing for me is the fact that like, to me, the revolutionaries ostensibly they're doing what they're doing because of the poor people. The poor people are being oppressed and they want to advocate for the rights of the poor people via revolution. But all the revolutionary guys are like pretty clean and well-dressed. Yeah, and that, well, that is a part of it too. That they're like, you're a rich boy, but like, why are you here? And actually I have to say for like a non-Broadway actor, I think he is the MVP for the non-Broadway people. Like, you, it doesn't sound heavily doctored. Okay, Fontaine's hair before she cuts it is really pretty. Yeah, I know. I was like, damn. I think I know it that's might like even be her hair. I, apparently it was. I, I, I think it is, even though it's like really long for her. Maybe there's some extensions. Maybe it was her hair with extensions, yeah. yeah. They love to tell these actors to keep their lips chapped as fuck. <laughs> They're like, you know what? These people do not have... They do not have their aquaphor, so <laughs> no, you so gotta be neither do you. chapped, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like even yeah. Cosette, like in some of the close-ups, I'm like, holy shit! It looks like her lips are gonna fall off. The stretch from "Bring Him Home," no, from "Drink with Me" to "Bring yeah, Him Home," it's a it's is a, one of the most excruciating experiences it's a I've tough ever one. witnessed. And actually, I kind of think that's true of the real show as well. Okay, but normally when, like, a Broadway man is singing Bring Him Home, it's, like, really impressive. But Hugh Jackman kind of just, like, he punches through the wall it. of the song. It's so He it's really, so really rough. butchered it. It's like a 
a pure misinterpretation of what it's supposed to be. I think that he just could not do the falsetto. I guess not. Also, yeah. I have to say, and like, sorry to the like Jackmanites out there, but um, <laughs> I hate his vibrato. I hate it. It's bad. It's bad. I stole a loaf of bread. Yeah. And then you got... No prisoner 24601. <laughs> no prisoner 24601. Your time is up and your parole's begun. His vibrato <sighs> is so wide that he actually goes entirely off pitch. There's just like, <laughs> so many really talented, really charismatic men that have played this role out there in the world. Yeah. And he just looks so damn uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's 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 just unfortunate. I do kind of want to talk about the story a little bit. You know how some people are like, why is Javert so obsessed? <laughs> like, with Valjean? Yeah. Like, is it gay? Like, <laughs> um, it is not gay. It's, I don't think it is either, like, not literally anyway. It is kind of weird how obsessed he is. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I found myself wondering so at the end, when Jean Valjean is telling Marius that. He is, in fact, Jean Valjean. And when he's like, who am I? Who am I? And then Marius is like, you're Jean Valjean. (laughs) I'm like, why does anyone care that he's Jean Valjean? Because it's not like this is like, he's like a famous prisoner. He, he's not a world renowned prisoner. Yes, he has changed his identity in the past. So like he did, he never came clean about it. But it's not like Marius knows who Jean Valjean is, right? Or does he? Okay, it seems like he does for some reason. I don't know why. He could know through Javert, maybe. But, like, what if Javert was like, hey. does he even know Javert? (laughs) They briefly know each other at the barricade. (laughs) (laughs) They just, like, had a little kiki and, like, exchanged that information. Yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of think that could be interesting. If that was an added element to the story, like, Marius has cop tendencies or background. Okay, you know how in the beginning Jean Valjean is a mayor? Yeah. Doesn't it seem like he's got to be like a pretty shit mayor considering <laughs> how the town is? Yeah, and how he like doesn't know what the fuck's going on ever. And then he just walks in, oh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And then Fantine is like, I don't fucking like you because you ignored me when I needed help. And then he's like, yeah. I feel so guilty about that that I will literally raise your child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah. thank you, sir. You are. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time I ever heard horror in a movie was watching the movie version of the book. And it's Jeffrey Rush saying, my mother was a whore. <laughs> and I remember feeling very grown up for watching that with Annie. So yeah. thank you, Annie, for that cultural experience. Oh, can we talk about how bad that original song is? It's so uncalled for. I like hate it. I know that whenever they make a movie musical, they make an original song so they can go for best original song at the Oscars, but don't do it because it's never good. No. Okay, another thing I thought was hilarious, at one point when they're at the barricade, someone goes, who's there? And they go, French Revolution. (laughs) Who's there? French Revolution. (laughs) Camera-wise, they decided to incorporate a lot of pointless canted angles, which is when you've got like a diagonal, like a sideways shot, just for yeah. no reason. You're, you, they were just bored. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, didn't yeah, mean yeah. anything. You're supposed to incorporate canted angles when they mean something, not just yes. because you're like shooting a music video and you want like a second setup. Like it's just <laughs> Did you bad. think that the editing was hostile? Uh, I didn't really think about the editing much because I was so sidetracked by the audio. (laughs) But I do, I mean, I don't, I don't love the editing. I think it's very whatever. I feel very deeply that by, and this goes back to the high school thing, but I just want to say when a high school chooses to do lame is, they are giving the middle finger to women so hard because yeah. there 
there's so many guy parts yeah. that are like fun and that like you get to shoot a gun. Like you get and the to girls be, get to be like assaulted and killed. <laughs> literally assaulted and killed or like drunk. Mm-hmm. Or like working for slave wages. Like there's no there's basically I, mean, I wrote even I want Eponine. gender bent. Like Eponine's not even like in the beginning, she's kind of a badass part, but then she fucking dies. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. And I didn't realize this until I went and saw the show on tour with Josh for his birthday last year that every song that any of the women sing in this whole show is about a man. Yeah. And like, is it fierce? Is it melodramatic? Yeah, it is fun. Yes. But like, when you take, like, when you really step back and look, at the content, it's uh, it's pretty not for the girls, if you know what I mean. It's not for the girls. It's so crazy because it so simultaneously is for the girls. It somehow is both. Yeah, well, that I guess I never really put too much stock into the lame as being like anti-feminist or something because it's like, this is the truth of these characters. I have zero interest in trying to be like, Lame is doesn't pass the Bechtel test because yeah. that's literally the stupidest thing I could possibly yeah. say. But, but I was just surprised like, to notice that. Neither do the 1800s also do not pass the Bechtel test. So, <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. We really don't have a reason to, to know or understand that Valjean is on the brink of death. He kind of just decides that he's going to die, which I know. Why can't, you know, at least for the movie's sake, like slip in a little shot or scene or something where we see him coming down with something. Like he's getting well, the There play. was that Did you see the thing where he like tries to get into the carriage and he can't lift up his his chest? Yeah, his but like just like a little more a little more yeah. like clear. Yeah. I just think it's so funny that he basically is like, I'm peacing out. Like, I'm never going to see my daughter again. I'm just going to go away because he just basically is choosing violence. Like, he's he's just like, yep. she found yep. a husband. I'm going to go die by myself so she doesn't have to deal with it. Like, it's like very like avoidant. And that's yeah. kind of the thing yes. of his character is that yeah. he is so uncomfortable with like his past and like, his emotions and like who he really is mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he will peace out whenever things get tough, basically. Now it's making me think like if it's about coming to terms with your past or things that are hard or whatever, running away from emotions is a very man thing to do. Do you feel like the core plot is Javert and Valjean? I think it's like Valjean's like coming to terms with himself and then like kind of seconded slash firsted by the Javert thing. This thing with Les Mis in general is that I feel like there's just so much unnecessary shit in it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want it to go away. It's just like in terms of it being like a cohesive story, it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with source material because I'm sure yeah. the source material has a lot more. So they pro- they're yeah. already paring it down, but there's so much to get across. And and I feel like each character is like a, there's probably some kind of like allegory type thing for like, yeah. like what type of person each character is. Like Repre- a social like commentary. Represents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's funny that he is like, I'm going to go die by myself. And then she's like, girl, what the fuck? Like she goes and gets married. And then Marius finds out where he's at. And then they rush to go be with him. And he's like, yeah, yes. I like ran away. <laughs> it's kind of inexplicable. Why do you think Fontaine is on that barricade at the end? <laughs> Well, it was funny because when we finished it, Josh was like, so I guess Javert doesn't get redemption. He's not on the fucking barricade. No, he went Um, straight to hell. I know. The barricade is heaven. That's why she's on the barricade. I know. I just thought it was weird for a movie. Like on stage, I think it makes sense for dead people to come back for the last moment. Yes. But in a movie, it's weirder. We talked about that too, because the ending itself is actually pretty lovely, yeah. like him walking towards the bishop. Yeah. Um, but then it turns into that weird, like imaginary just a barricade s- moment. Yeah, like imaginary, like curtain call type thing yeah. almost. And it is 
It is odd. They could have pulled uh, End of High School Musical 3. (laughs) (laughs) They should have just done that. Everyone's standing there like. (laughs) Character select screen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They should have just done that. I I love this show. It's just poorly done in, in I think that, I also think that is kind of a consensus on this movie. There, if you love the show, there's going to be a, at least a few things about the movie that you love inherently just because yeah. it's the show. But if we're going to talk about film adaptation, it's not the best approach. I think there's just a stronger yeah. approach to it. Are you ready for the inevitable screen adaptation of Hamilton? No. <laughs> I'm really, really, really not. I'm ready for it. So is this film worthwhile? Is it? Okay, I feel like worthwhile is like a hard one to answer. Because like, is it worth watching? Depends. (laughs) It does depend. It depends (laughs) on if you've seen the stage show. I think if you've seen the stage show, you'll enjoy it more probably. Well. Or. No, I think you'll enjoy it less. Either way. I think you. Unless you are somebody who's pretty, who's easy to please and you're not like a vocal stickler, then Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you might love like watching this just literally because it exists and you like the show Les Mis. But if you care about vocals or the integrity of music, um, (laughs) this is not it for you. Or the joy of music. (laughs) Not it. Like if you have the songs memorized, you're not going to enjoy this because you can't sing along anyway because the actors have all chosen their own way to sing. (laughs) So true. Yeah, I think it depends. But from like a research perspective, yeah, sure. (laughs) Watch Yeah. Why not? It's definitely a wild ride. Like the the thesis of the show is to love another person is to see the face of God. I kind of think that the actual like God aspect of it isn't, it's not really pushed. Like they're not, it's not really a religious show per se. I think going back to that review that we read where it says it made me want to believe in God, even though it was like bad, basically. Like, I think that, the way that this show represents God and like, it's like- Forgiveness. It's never that, it's never that he's a Christian. Mm-mm. It's that he is like in cahoots with God more than anything else. And um, that like love is, love is God, if you will. <laughs> and um, that like love and forgiveness and justice are all, intertwined elements of God and intertwined. I think the constant like reinterpretation of justice is like one of the main themes of the whole show. Like yeah, the revolution, Javert, Valjean being wronged in the first place. Like it, all yeah. of that. And like the way that Valjean chooses to spare the man who made his life terrible. Like that yeah. it's about forgiveness, Repeatedly. blah, blah, blah. And like where you draw the line (laughs) like how forgiving are you going to be like in your life no matter how rude someone was to you or like literally put you in prison for decades (laughs) there's something deep in there I think that's why the show does hit hard for so many people regardless of how cheesy or melodramatic it could be and is it still is like a tearjerker like it, it is. Yeah. If you are yeah. susceptible to themes of love and humanity, like it could get you. <laughs> like I asked Josh why it made him cry because he cried when we were watching it yesterday. And he was just like, I love an ending. I love that people were thanking him for like having helped them yeah. and all that. And like, I don't know. I think everyone has... Everyone has experienced an aging patriarch in their life. Yeah. And that it just has those vibes. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. True. So. Yeah, this is a show that goes over years. So you you follow him yeah. from a younger man to being on his deathbed. <laughs> so. Apparently. His, yeah. His deathbed that he willed into existence. <laughs> Okay, I feel more closure now. Do you feel more closure? 
So, as always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey A. Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Real Judy Garland on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And if you haven't yet, please join our Discord server at the link in the episode description. You can check out our merch at tupingproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And if you too were traumatized by your high school uh, production of Lame Is or any show, or if you just enjoyed me embarrassing myself, please share this episode with a friend or two and leave us a review commending us for our bravery on the internet. <laughs> Five stars, Apple Podcasts. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Even stokers need a little stoke. <laughs> That's a shout Yay. out to Ethan. That's a shout out to Ethan. Yes. That was his line. <laughs> yes. I remember it well. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.